You are listening to Represent, a podcast created by the Youth of Youth Leadership Institute 2021 Columbia Fellowship. Represent uplifts the voices and experience of people impacted by the education system. I'm Maria Torres, a former Columbia Fellow. Today, we travel to the Bay Area where Columbia Fellow Colette Holcomb talks to a multimedia creative and DEI advocate based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Primo Lagasso Goldberg about their experience as a non-binary and queer person in sex ed and what should be done to make sex ed more inclusive. As the only student with gay parents in my New York middle school, I was the go-to information point for sex ed for many students. I observed that many LGBTQ students felt left out of our sex ed curriculum, which forced them to turn to me to answer crucial questions from safety to resources to healthy representations of non-heterosexual relationships. I wanted to explore what sex ed is actually like for queer non-binary people today, as well as what a more inclusive and effective sex ed curriculum may look like for future generations, so I reached out to an expert. I went to a weird school. I went to a Waldorf school. That's Primo, a queer non-binary activist and current undergraduate student at Harvard. And in case you're wondering, a Waldorf school is a non-traditional private school system that emphasizes creativity with storytelling and experimentation being the main methods of instruction. Understanding that I, my sex education was not inclusive. It wasn't exclusive of queer people, but it was not inclusive either, if that makes sense. That was where like my first introduction was in middle school to sex education and that was very much like informational and like physiological and aesthetic and artistic. At that time I don't think we were like quite there yet and so queerness wasn't even like an idea in the conversation about sex education and then I was never really exposed to it again because I transferred high schools a lot and I would transfer at like weird times so I never really got, I was never like required to take the sex education class but I like knew what the curriculum was supposed to be like and I know that in SF like I went to um, Lick, that was the high school I went to in SF and their sex education program is queer inclusive but still could be improved upon. Primo's experience reminds me a lot of my own experience in sex ed. I've gone to school in both New York City and San Francisco so I think I was at an advantage compared to most of the country when it came to inclusivity. Middle school is when sex ed began for me in New York, and there was little to no representation or discussion of LGBTQ plus people in it. But in high school in San Francisco, representation improves. Many of the videos you watched included LGBTQ plus people and relationships, but there was definitely still a tension around talking about this community in the context of sex ed. In that sense, it seems like improving sex ed also means going beyond policy and shifting the culture around these discussions. It really comes down to the fact that like people don't know how to talk about queer people, especially like non-queer people don't know how to talk about queer and trans sex and sexuality and gender like they have trouble articulating it to like they might not be able to relate to it so i think like yes you can be inclusive of queer people in your sex education but even then it might not necessarily resonate or be impactful for queer students if the person teaching it isn't able to like talk about queer sex in like a comfortable and like validating way I have one distinct memory from my sex ed experience, which is from when I got into an argument with a classmate of mine who said that he shouldn't have to take the time to use or relearn someone's proper pronouns. I grew up around transgender people and non-binary people, so for me, that sense of respect was intuitive. I was shocked that even in San Francisco, he didn't see the power his actions and words had on other people in this community. 
It made me realize that our parents are often our first teachers and showed me how much my background had shaped my behavior and view of the world. I think the first thing I would say is that I wish it started earlier. And I don't, by that, I don't mean that like we should be teaching like first graders about sex, but I think we should be exposing like First graders should be comfortable talking about their bodies in like a safe, appropriate context, if that makes sense. Like sex shouldn't be something. And when I say sex, I'm referring to like, you know, literal like intercourse, but also like, like your gender, your presentation, sexuality, like all these things shouldn't be taboo subjects. Yes, they are personal, but that doesn't mean that we can't discuss them safely and openly and in affirming ways with other people. Um, and so I think that the like stigma and like taboo around sex starts very young. And so in that sense, I think that I wish my sex education had started earlier. And I think that's like the main difference. Because like if I had like had the language to articulate about being non-binary, about being queer earlier in my life, I would have been like using it from earlier in my life. And I would have been the person that I like know that I truly am for a lot longer. And I think I could have maybe not avoided, but I could have like lessened a lot of like the struggle and like darkness that I went through if I had had like the language to talk about the person that I was. And then I think more in like the traditional sense of sex education, even in sex ed classes, from the way it's portrayed in the media to like just a lot of different aspects of our culture around sex, even in this context where you're supposed to be learning around about sex and about our bodies and about how we love each other as human beings, there's still like a very pervasive atmosphere of embarrassment and of tension and of discomfort that I think until we alleviate that and change that atmosphere, we won't be in a truly progressive place around sex education yet. And I think once that open and comfort are present, we can like, you know, make sure that we're being inclusive of queer people, of intersex bodies, of trans bodies, of non-binary bodies. While our experiences don't represent the entire countries, they showcase how the current system is ineffective. I think we've come a long way in sex ed. Even during my time in high school the past four years, things like consent especially have been brought to the forefront of the conversation. But if you aren't cis and straight, then the curriculum is still falling short. Because sexuality and gender are so fluid and often explored throughout one's life, students might not even know what they're missing while in high school. And they can't imagine what their existence could look like outside of high school because they never felt represented by the curriculum. I think that sex education needs to be a little bit more individualistic and I wish that that had been like that for me because obviously not everyone in a class is like queer or trans or intersex but sex is very different for every person but we're teaching this very standardized generalized broad curriculum it's like oh don't do this this and this you should do this this and this but those things might be different depending on your body depending on your experiences depending on just who you are as a person and so I think I wish that my sex education, like exposure and experience had been more individualized. So there's already a layer of tension, stigma and taboo around sex as a topic. But then when you add like the modifier queer to it or gay or lesbian or trans, that adds another layer of tension and discomfort for a lot of people for various reasons. You know, society is still learning to process the presence of queer people and the fact that we exist and we have sex and we have gender and we do these things um, and exist as people. We're still, society is still learning to process that. And even though we're in a much better place than we were even 10 years ago, you know, laws around conversion theory, laws around discrimination, laws around transgender athletes, all these things are reflective of the social consciousness that we are all inhabiting. 
I've never had a sex ed teacher who was not cisgender and straight. And because of that, there was always this underlying discomfort when discussing gender and sexuality. Whether or not it was intentional, they often skipped over things and danced around topics because they were nervous to talk about them. In turn, they cultivated a stigma around these topics in the classroom that made students fearful to ask about them or start discussions on their own. People want to be allies, and a lot of the time that can inhibit them from entering these conversations because they're scared they'll say the wrong thing. And so we need to set a precedent and an atmosphere and environment of comfort and of learning and growth and letting people know that it's okay to make mistakes because we're all learning about this. So in order to do that, we have to put queer teachers and trans teachers and non-binary teachers in the classrooms. I think that's the ultimate best practice. Yes, we still need to discuss things in an open way and let students know that like it's okay to not know and it's okay to learn and grow. But I think the ultimate best practice is putting actual queer people in the classroom with students. If you want best practices around gender and sexuality and discussing that, then you need to source that from the people for whom that is their lived experience. And that is queer non-binary trans teachers. I'll preface this by saying that gender and sexuality is a deeply individual and personal thing. It's going to be different for each person. So there isn't necessarily like a framework that we can like give to students and then they're not going to struggle with their sexuality. But I think we can tell students that gender and sexuality are fluid, they're changing. They're not something that like, you're like, oh, I got it and I've pinned it down and this is who I'm going to be for the rest of my life. It's okay to change. It's okay to question. You don't have to figure it all out. I feel like that's a very much like present thing in our society that's like, oh, like you've come out, you're done, no more. You have a label and it's yours. <laughs> that's like not realistic at all. Policies around sex ed differ from state to state and even from county to county in some cases. And then there's always the gray area of private schools. Also taking into account the personal nature of sexuality and gender and that the LGBTQ community themselves still haven't figured out many of these concepts. What should actually be done at the policy level to try and create change? I think a lot of this starts with just changing the social consciousness and the atmosphere around how we talk about these things. We can like write policies and design curriculum for people. Like we can do that, that's possible. But if people in the social consciousness and in, if the atmosphere around the discussion of those things is still very tense and uncomfortable, then that curriculum and that policy isn't gonna do anything because people are gonna feel uncomfortable talking about it. So I think we really need to start with breaking down those barriers and destigmatizing queerness, sex, sexuality, gender. We need to, like gender isn't just for like queer people, straight people can question gender too. Um, people who end up cis can question gender too. Gender is something that we all experience. And so like putting that out there and breaking down the stigma and changing the atmosphere around the discussion and the conversations we have, that is definitely the first step. And then we can think about what curriculum we need to include, what policies we need to write, what we need to bring into the classrooms. But the first step is changing that atmosphere and shifting the social consciousness. For particularly like queerness and sex ed, it's tough because sex and sexuality and gender and gender identity are very personal things. But the nature of policy is a little bit impersonal because it's trying to account for as many people and as many scenarios as possible. And so I think there is a little bit of conflict and tension just in like the constitutive ways that 
those two concepts exist. So what I'm about to say, I like even feel uncomfortable saying this, but this is what policy forces us to do. You have to employ this many queer identifying or trans identifying teachers in every school district or in every school. That as a statement feels uncomfortable to me because I don't like reducing reducing like identities or peoples to like quotas, but that's the language that policy uses. So if we, if we ignore the tension for now, and um, there's a lot of age of development and um, there's a lot of, um, research and like collaboration that can happen between like you know pediatricians and like actual like experts in the field in addition to queer activists and people whose lived experience is being queer like there's a lot of collaboration that can happen there to determine what exactly we need to teach um children at various stages of their development about gender and sexuality about sex and yeah i don't think i have an answer per se but i like the food for thought that i will offer is that conflict between policy and like something that is very personal and like how do you resolve that which i guess like indicates that maybe like policy isn't the best way to solve these problems and maybe it's about like implementing like systems of conversations and like media presence we think that there are very limited avenues about how to make change and to an extent that's true but even if you can't affect national policy you can like make changes in your local community and then if every local community is making changes suddenly we have like a national change that has happened just by you know grassroots organizations in their individual communities Currently, requiring sex education as a whole is already controversial, and only around half of all school districts in the United States require any sex ed at all. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports that only 19% of U.S. secondary schools provide sex education information that is LGBTQ inclusive. Bipartisan support for sex ed, let alone inclusive sex ed curricula, is hard to come by. In fact, many states are discussing legislation advocating for erasing discussions around LGBTQ history and inclusivity from the classroom. For example, in Florida, Republicans have passed a bill that will forbid discussions of sexual orientation or gender identity in any context in elementary schools. Gender and sexuality are both a lifelong process, and not every person will know their identity as a middle or high schooler. However, sex ed can be a foundation. Like Primo said before, sex ed can be a pivotal point for many by giving the language to articulate their identities and providing resources crucial to their safety and well-being. It can also serve as a reference point to look back on for resources and vocabulary if a student is exploring their identity later on in their lives. Inclusive sex ed is integral to the safety and well-being of our nation and global society. It's not ideological, it's a human right. You've been listening to Represent, a podcast created by the Youth of Youth Leadership Institute 2021 Columbia Fellowship. For more information, check out our website at yli.org or check the links in the description for our social media handles. I am Maria Torres. Thank you so much for listening and until next time.